0: Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikov, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week, we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. <coughs> Well hello hello this is Alora Chestikov from Firebird Summit and welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. Hey my friend.
1: Hey 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 how's it going Alora? I'm Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. It is great to be back for the 21st episode.
0: It is we're going to wrap up our first season with a bang
1: because
0: you have quite the apropos topic for today don't you?
1: I do, I do, I do. So in the bag, we go for the topic of transition, life, relationship, job, career, whatever it looks like, transition. That is our topic. I tell you, that means, that's a very loaded word for me. And and just as I think about Transitioning back from the military out into this crazy civilian world, and just all the emotion um, from having had assigned friends with every duty station change. To now, what does life look like in the midst of this transition of myself, of my family, of my identity, of um, all that thing? So, um, transition—that's a topic.
0: All right. Well, story of my life. Um, okay, so. That's so funny. So, you know, this is, I I like your point that this is super loaded, right? Because there are so, I think everybody has some areas where transition is, you know, no biggie and other areas that are like truly terrifying. And one of the things that always, um, always strikes me is how for me personally, the things that other people kind of find freaky don't bother me. I'm like, I'm the opposite, right? Whereas the things that they think are normal, like completely spook me. So, uh, you know, right now I'm in the process of leaving Miami. I only got to Miami la- late last year. I am now moving while we're on a break between seasons. I'm going to be relocating. And when we reconnect, I will be in my new home in Western Colorado. Um, you know, this is in the last, I've moved now six times in the last two years, which, you know, plenty of people think is like, crazy. Like, and, and, you know, when I send out the note to my friends saying, Hey, stuff's happened, things are going to change. I'm moving. I had so many people right back and, and their reaction was, Oh my God, I can't believe how, how, you know, I can't believe like it's, it's so, it's either so crazy or it's so brave right? you know, I, I envy how, how easily you do this. And it's, it always strikes me as funny because for me, that's not a big, scary transition. Like, to me, that's not a scary thing, right? The, the part for me that is scary is that, like, the boyfriend and I will be living together when we're done. Like, me giving up being, sing- like, my single status, in a way, to, like, be, like, part of a, a, an actual, like, very, I mean, interdependent couple, in a way. Like, that's a scary-ass transition for me. Like, truly terrifying. Picking up and moving halfway across the country in two weeks, meh. Yeah, that's actually kind of interesting challenge. I'm, I'm, I'm actually more entertained about, you know, managing the logistics of that. So I think what's what's really important when uh, you start looking at the question of transition is, is trying to separate out some shoulds, right? Because I think there's so many places where so much of what we do or so much of how we see ourselves in our environment is either based on shoulds or it's based on our reaction to shoulds. Sometimes it's a backlash, but whatever it is, right? There's a lot of should crap that we ingest. Um, And there's a lot, I think, that we are kind of comfortable with, right? There's there's stuff that, you know, you and your wife have been together for, you know, 16, was it 16 years? Yeah, 16. Right. So, you know, like that was not a transition that, you know, you were adverse to, however difficult it may have been whereas your transition from going from the military back to civilian life was probably a lot more jarring in a lot of ways than getting married. Right. Mm. And so, so I think understanding the places that, and again, we're always back to self-awareness and really, you know, getting into your own, your own shit really um, is super important because it's, while other people might think, Oh, Hey God, I can't believe Alora picks up and, you know, before Miami, she was living in Columbia. Before Columbia, she was living in Mexico. and Before Mexico, she was living in Texas. And before Texas, she was living in New York. People think that's like crazy dramatic. That doesn't faze me the way other things do. And I think for me, the hardest thing has been recognizing that, okay, so I don't fit in other people's box. (laughs) That's pretty well established. But it's also then figuring out how not to judge that. Because you know what, the things that are hard and scary are hard and scary. And if, if for some people that's picking up and moving across the country in two weeks, that's fair and fine and there are plenty of reasons that they shouldn't feel like they need to judge themselves for that. Um, and for other people, you know, if it's, oh, hey, great, you know, I've been living alone for a really long time. <laughs> i be giving that one up. Uh, you know, that's, that just happens to be mine. But you have to kind of understand what, where your comfort zone is so that the places where transition happens that make you more anxious are clearer and you're better prepared to recognize them. You know, I think yeah. I've had so many people, right? Take the job conversation, right? So many people that I know have either lost their jobs or they're watching their, I mean, they're, they're they feel like they're standing on the train tracks with the train coming right at them right now, right? Mm-hmm. I have several, I have several friends who've reached out to me that I I worked with in my early career, especially, have been like okay my job is evaporating I see the writing on the wall it's it's going it's not going to be around much longer I need your help or I lost my job (laughs) or my job has gotten so toxic because of everything that's happened recently that I have to jump before like I just you know go postal somewhere and and so those transitions I think again that one was never a big one for me because I did move jobs enough it wasn't a big deal but I gotta say out of actually the, the three people in particular that, that have come to me in the past couple weeks, they've been at their jobs for like a decade plus. And they are not people who like that transition. They have been very comfortable. And so it has been very, very difficult for them to p- come out and say, okay, uh, <laughs> I guess I have to, you know, step out yeah. of this comfort zone. Um, and I think, so I think for me, those are the two biggest places, right? One. Yeah understanding where transition in my life is fine and i can roll with it and which areas of my life it causes anxiety or stress or tension and then not judging that like being okay with the fact that everybody has things that they're okay with and other things that they're not and 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 there's no should there right there's no there's there's no reason that it should or needs to be one or the other but you gotta you gotta not as we say not shit all over yourself to be able to get through the stuff that does
1: yeah and it, I, I liken it to and i like your, you definitely your point about the there being the two kind of paradigms that you're trying to process um and i looking back at it um moving was easy the army moved us every two years if i wasn't deployed we were moving and it was like clockwork and even my wife she, again with relationship it wasn't hard for us to meet new people at every place. Like I said, they were already there. We just had to extend ourselves. So that wasn't hard, but it was the biggest part for me when transitioning from military and anybody who is transitioning from a career more than anything, the emotion connected to the perceived identity connection is, is what really is jarring for a lot of people is that, and that's why I say when, as a coach, I coach people, I don't coach position descriptions. And so any corporate clients I have, I am not trying to coach that person in that role, I'm coaching the person who does a thing for you. And so as, as you talk to sponsors, as you talk to other people, and as I talk to pe- as clients, I ask them, where's your identity? Have you identified the person of you? And have you been able to have that awareness around what comes up for you when moments of anxiety happen, what are the events? What are the circumstances? Because again, as we talk about transition, right? Most most human beings on planet Earth assume that we're we're pretty good at with innovation and flexibility, but we're probably we're really not. Um, we're we're really not good with it, right? Um, and I and I love the the Rogers Bell curve of, of, of adoption, right? And you have the innovators and the early, you have the adopters. early adopters, yeah, and you have have all this problems. stuff, right?
0: Exactly, yeah, all right,
1: but where are you as it pertains to transition right if you if you had to look at that curve where are you really and i think for a lot of people it's not until it happens to you oh, yeah. that you now your true identity is identified and that anxiety and that realization like oh man i was a laggard this whole time not that it's bad it's just like you're gonna you're a wait and see you're yeah. like i'm just, this is the role i took and because the army moved us so often like you said we compartmentalize transition and so moving like my wife was like what if we got to move to another house I'm like what if we do whatever it's just a location where we sleep it's not it's not a big deal and I, and she's like yeah you're right I guess they like that's not a thing for us but but things like identity of roles identity of different things that is anxiety filled for her because well, as an educator. You-
0: so you, you actually are touching on something I think is super important. I actually, I could actually buy the argument, and I would need to think through it a little bit more, but I could buy the argument that the real hang up for people around most transitions is around the idea that a forced, an externally forced transition is colliding with some part of their recognized identity. So as you were talking through that, what I was hearing was, First of all, you and your wife identify as a couple. So you guys do stuff together, right? You're not, you guys, that is not in conflict. So part of your identity is as a husband and your identity collectively is as a couple. So if that means that as a couple, you got to pick up and move every couple of years. Mm-hmm. The is, I mean, I think if, if it was, you were going to be pick up and, picking up and moving and she was going to be staying, that might've created a lot more conflict around the underlying identity. But as it is, you know, your ability to roll with circumstances because it didn't challenge the identity of who you two are as part of a couple, I think makes it much easier to, to distance yourself from the emotional chaos of some other things because it didn't threaten anything. Whereas, yeah. you know, yeah, so yeah, like yeah. I, was, and you were of- it, I was thinking about my example, right? My issue isn't living with Patrick my issue is giving up my identity as a person who lives alone and and that you know it's it's that I'm super attached to the idea that you know what if I want to marathon Netflix until four in the morning who the hell cares if I want to you know have have a six pack of beer for dinner who cares if I want to you know not yeah. use an alarm clock every day who cares like yeah. those that that because I have have cultivated an identity of a single person who does her own thing who you know sees it plain fair sale and decides she's going to go spend her birthday in Thailand by herself and not invite anybody to go with me like that's the identity that I very strongly internalize so so being part of a couple challenges that identity and so that to me is where the conflict is because I am a person who whose identity includes picking up And you know, moving at least half a country away on a regular basis, that one doesn't threaten me. I can do that one at the drop of a hat. But I think what you're saying is actually really, really important because we don't we don't have bad reactions to trivial things, or we have bad reactions to things that we find alarming or disturbing or undercutting or threatening. And I think identity is frequently, one of the things that is the most likely to trigger us into having any kind of adverse reaction. And the truth is, when you're talking about a transition, especially one that you didn't choose, I would say it is probably not an unrealistic argument to make that more often than not, the resistance has to do with the challenge that poses to us in our identity.
1: Wow. So here's the connection I'm making with that, with that part, right, we're talking about transition. And particularly as it pertains to identity, which I believe in this context of the season of life that we're in as a humanity, some people's realities have been challenged. And so now they have to even entertain a mental transition that their world as they know it, is not really stable or, or even or, it's, or not it's not coming back. back and that and I believe that's the the line that people are drawing is I don't need to change I don't need this to change because this has been a way of life for me and and as we man that is that is wild that is why that's why I believe most when people when there is a cut i I'm always intrigued Uh, to understand why organizations don't do a better job when it's time to do layoffs or uh, reductions in force and why people that are actually good at people stuff aren't brought in to help with that communication plan. And it's very, um, it's very just gut-wrenching watching them stumble and fumble their way through taking care of people stuff. And I could, I mean, again, talk about transition being forced on you I can remember the one job I, I had, first job I had out of the military, they put us in a room, Alora, 14 of us on a team. We got a new director and we found out via slide show that our department was reorging and literally it was, it was a two slider. It was current organization, slide two, new organization, and you have HR up in the front in the corner with a stack of yellow envelopes in front of her and literally Captain Obvious, our supervisor, he looks at the screen of the second one and goes.
0: So you're supposed I, to actually look at that second screen and see if you find yourself on that slide.
1: See if you can find your role. And Captain Obvious goes, "Uh, where's our HR coordinator's position in this new org? Her role's not there. And she and I looked down at her, mouth open, solitary tear running down her cheek. That's how she found out that her world—and again, five years in change in this organization—that's well, so how that, she found out.
0: That, that's like double whammy of bad, right? Because oh, one, God. the fact that they did it that way to begin with was dreadful. Yeah. But yep. Then the fact that your supervisor actually then had to call it out and draw extra attention to it in the moment before she had even had the chance to, play. I mean, she was sitting there too, right? She could see oh, that the, wasn't the there. whole team, right? She didn't need him to At draw all. attention to that in that moment. Oh my, oh my God. God that's yeah. So
1: cool. And so as we talk about just the emotion around transition, like people need to understand you need to allow yourself time. Just to that point that you just made, the time to process what just happened or what is happening. And I know because you're thoughtful, and I know, know Patrick, in that relationship, you've made comments and posts around the thoughtfulness that of a man that he is, how you all just are processing this change and it needing to happen, but then the identity of yourself of, huh,
0: I do what I want when I want. I come and go and yeah. I, I have my, you know, I, I have a living space that's like, you know, full of art and you, oh my God, it was so funny. He, uh, I, I rearranged a few things to, cause when I moved my desk, he, uh, I have this glass statue. that's probably a little expensive. And I ended up putting it on a table that's behind the couch. Well, he went, he was sitting on the couch and his arm on the, on the back of the couch. And he went to point at something and as he did, his arm went and like started to he he knocked it over, and he caught it before it fell because it would have shattered into a bazillion pieces. And I had this like complete visceral like <gasps> reaction. And he's looking at it, he catches it in midair. He looks at me. He's like watching me, you know. And I don't usually have like really dramatic reactions to things, yeah. so like me reacting like that it definitely got his attention. And I'm like, oh. <sighs> uh, uh, and, uh, and he looked at me, he goes, God, you have lived alone for a long time. He's like, it's, you're so lucky you don't have kids. I'm like, I know I have a home designed for and by a single woman who loves art. Yep. <laughs> I mean, as it is between the puppy and the boyfriend, they're pushing the limits of my living space on a daily basis. But again, that's like, that's the challenge to my identity, right? Like, exactly. I, Internalize that a lot, but to, to your point on the job front, I think this is to me this is one of the most interesting and in some ways most important differences in kind of what we find our modern forget the COVID specific influences, but just kind of a general modern work environment relative to you know the the 1950s 60s fantasy of staying at the same company for 40 years and retiring with a gold watch, right? I think that there was so much value, uh, probably in some ways for the companies, but definitely for communities and things like that. For, in that model, for a person's identity to be heavily embedded with their job, right? Um, You can look at, at the way, you know, local banks used to have like a bank president who was member of, of, you know, the Rotary Club and like all of the local community stuff and attended all the events, right? Because that, that role in the company had a role in the community. And by, by really tightly coupling those identities into a person, you really had that person commit to it and be there and stay because they weren't going anywhere. Like the, the, they didn't have, they weren't going to change jobs in 24 months, right? I think one of the single biggest challenges we have is that so many of us are still kind of raised to view work in that model, and it comes back to the factory or that that you know long-term industrial age model, right? It's part of the way we view our role with a company, or relationship with a company and our identity as having a role within a company. And now in a modern world where if you're really ambitious, you're gonna change your own job every 24 months because that's how you make more money, that's how you get better titles, that's how you get better projects, that's how you move up in companies. Or you wait until somebody kicks you out and then you have this complete just, you know, you get your knees clipped because all of a sudden this identity that you have baked in because you've adopted from an old model and tried to make it fit into the current model has now been undercut because they take your job away. And now your job, now that, that, that vacuum takes your identity with it or, or at least dents your identity. And I think that's so part of it. Or even, even the, the inverse, right? If you get promoted, and this we, I mean, you and I talk about the danger of a technical person being promoted into a managerial role all the time. And I think to me, one of the biggest challenges I have always seen is somebody who is a kick ass individual contributor who takes pride in being the best, being the most creative, being the smartest, the moment they become a manager none of that shit actually matters anymore because now your job isn't to do any of that yourself. It's to help other people do those things, which means that your identity and your investment in yourself as being the smartest, the best, most creative, the most, you know, whatever is crap. Because now you actually have to service other people in cultivating that. And that's a huge hit to your identity. If your whole sense of worth is, Dude, I knocked out the solution and there everybody's telling everybody stop on my desk, tell me that was amazing, and I did a phenomenal job, and I just saved the day. If that's where you get your validation from, you managing a team of other people who now have to do it isn't gonna help you with that. And so, like for me, all of those things come back to it. But again, those are just transitions that sort of circumstances voiced on you. Yeah. We can look at the COVID thing, right? How many people, I mean. One of the things that's breaking my heart most about where we're at right now is all of these small businesses that thought they could limp limp along, they could get the PPP and then get to a point where they they could recover. Now that the second, you know, now that this explosion, we're not even to the second wave yet, but now that this explosion has happened, I mean, small businesses are just dropping like flies. And so you have these people whose whole identity has been around being an entrepreneur or being self-employed or this business that they've built. And now the doors are closing. They don't know what the hell they're going to do. Some of them are stuck back with, Jesus, God, do I have to go get a job? And never mind the oh my God, can I even find a job right now? That's a whole other yeah. question. But just the idea of, I view, my dad is the perfect example. He, my dad is like genetically incapable of working for another human. He cannot do it. He's like four, you know, he's like third generation entrepreneur, like he cannot work for other people. Like it just chafes against every, every strain of his DNA. And so, you know, when I, when I actually was telling him that we were moving to Colorado because Patrick got a job, my dad's first reaction was, well, what about your businesses? Like, like from my dad's perspective, like the idea of giving up being self-employed to go take a job. And the thing is Patrick and I are much more opportunistic about this, right? Both of us have yeah. moved back and forth over time. Yep. But again, because that's not a transition. Like I am not, my identity is not overly invested in that transition. Exactly. The, there are others that are, but like, to me, those are the kinds of things when you start seeing it, right? When you see how, how do people introduce themselves? Like what do they, when they say, oh, God. Well, I'm, I'm a so-and-so you, you discover a lot about somebody's view of their own identity and what they're invested in by how they introduce themselves and yes. how they talk about their life. Do they, do they start with, you know, their family? Do they start with, or do they start with their family of origin or do they start with their, you know, the family, their, their, their you know, created family? Do they start with their job? Do they start with school? How many people do you know? Or, oh, dude, former military guys are classic. <sighs> start, they classic. start with military service.
1: Yeah, instantly. I, I mean, you bring up a huge point because when I tell you I read... Every LinkedIn article I could possibly read around the elevator pitch, my 30 second, my one minute, my one and a half minute, my two minute spiel had everything to do with the identity of what I believed I was. And even to the extent where I started making my own business cards, because I was like, and I, cause I started getting peeved around when I would describe, I would lead military boom former army officer blah, blah blah third blah blah chest all out and then people be like so what have you done in hr and my shoulders would start folding in yeah. towards each other and then it was like then immediately watching them be uninterested and then i was like all right i gotta shake this thing up i was like who am i who do i want to be i'm not in a box i'm like yeah i'm all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm rolling my shoulders back like lord like okay who am i really and i wrote out i never forget the day that I started making my own business cards and I wrote out, I'm a business operational support specialist. What does that mean? I help people get stuff done. I said, jack of all trades, master of none. You put it in front of me, I can knock the target down. And people started remembering me. Yep. And it was like, and then the, the acronym of BOSS was created in that moment. And as I transitioned to business ownership, I was like, okay, what am I as a business owner? And again, somebody, somebody like you, um, Ginger Johnson, my, one of my buddies out in Cali, she would say, "Lawrence, tell me your, tell me your quick origin story. Like, why would people work with you?" And I was like, and immediately I led with, uh, "What I could do." And she's like, eh, "Stop. <laughs> like, what, like, what is that? I'm like, no, stop. Well, tell me your origin story. Like, if what are you going to be known as?" And I was like, "Ah, oh, no organizational development guy." And it was like, and, and they'd be like, "Oh, so what's that?" I help people get unstuck. <laughs>
0: there you go. Which is, which is a great thing to say, right? I help people yeah. get unstuck.
1: Yeah, I help people get unstuck. That's it. Which and means, then we can have a conversation.
0: Way, yeah, which is <laughs> way more meaningful to most individuals. And it's more memorable, right? Yeah, exactly. Development, like, okay, well, that's fine. If you know what OD is, you can Exactly. exactly. something exactly. But, but again, if you know and you care, you probably already know like five others at least who also do it, in which case,
1: Exactly.
0: But to be able to say, I help you, I, you know, I help people get unstuck. All right. Well, now I get.
1: Yep. Yep. No. And I, I love this concept that particularly when we start talking about identity, because again, you hit a oh God, you took a sledgehammer to a nail. Um, as you start time, this season of life and COVID and just so many, I did a report. I did a talk last year about the number of small businesses over the past five years that were created and almost annually. Almost a, in the U.S., almost a million new small businesses started. Over half of the working population was small business.
0: It's now down to forty-four percent. It's dropping. This is one of the things actually that, about COVID that really scares and both and breaks my heart. Is yeah. that we are already in a in a really dangerous economic transition where big yeah. businesses we're taking over more and more market share and, and starting yeah. out smaller businesses. I think COVID is really going to accelerate that process and we're going to see a big difference. And I think especially, you know, small towns that still have like, you mm-hmm. know, very thriving, local, reasonably self-contained economies in a lot of ways are, are going to feel it first. But I, I think, you know, when I first lived in New York city, when I was in college, you know, there was, I lived on, on I was at NYU and I lived on union square. And at the time that was, you know, that was what it was. It was mid nineties, ninety-five. And uh, you know, lots of empty warehouses, right? The gentrification hadn't hadn't really kicked in in Union Square yet. There was a lot of stuff that had been former where, like big warehouse spaces that were abandoned. It was, you know, at night walking home alone from the computer lab, not always my safest, you know, scenario. Um, when I moved back to New York ten years later, those were all big box stores they're all big box stores it's completely just and you know and and you can't have and there's no restaurant there where you can have dinner for two people for less than you know 200 bucks like that's because that's what it became and unfortunately that is i think a big part of what we're seeing happen in other places but to be fair i think if we go back to transition this might actually be a really great uh view of it because that's going to have macro transition implications right i mean we can talk about transition at an individual level and you know, how your career goes or what happens in your family or, you know, whether you pick up and move across the country in two weeks, whatever, like those kinds of transitions are important on a daily basis. But we have bigger societal, political, socioeconomic transitions that, again, force change on us that we would not have necessarily ever, ever chosen. Um, and that we don't necessarily like, but we still have to ride them out, right? I mean, it's the permanent game of who moved my cheese. You don't get to just decide that, that you're not. Love like, it. Exactly. You know, you don't get to just decide, oh, hey, no, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit over here and I'm gonna wait for somebody to, for everything to go back to the way it was, right? I mean,
1: but yeah.
0: to me, that's what, that's what everybody, anytime anybody says, you know, let's get back to normal after COVID, that's what I, that's what I hear in my head is who moved my cheese? Like that's, yeah. I'm like, oh, Um, But the truth is, like, if we look, if we were to look at, you know, how do we, how do we as individuals handle um, macro transitions, big socioeconomic, political transitions, you know, large things that are enormously important. And to me, I think this is a very interesting, um, an interesting point to think about for us, because I think it comes, some of it does definitely come back to values, which we've obviously spent a lot of time talking about. But I think the other, the other side of it is, You know, when you watch, you know, I think watching conservative white reactions to Black Lives Matter is probably a great example, right? Because again, what is happening in this macro transition that is threatening my identity? You know, the fact that a woman with a dog in Central Park calls the cops on a Black Harvard graduate who's bird watching who asked her to keep her dog on a leash, like that was. One of the most like sort of iconic examples of super frail identity reacting badly in a moment, right? I mean, like it was, it was, and it was, and it was sort of so disgustingly egregious. Yeah. I mean, death and murder and and like that's that's extremely bad too but i think people can dismiss a lot of that as just like an extreme problem right i think for me the reason that stupid ass central park case is meaningful is because that's like an individual personal like that's like on a daily basis you can go out any city and you can see that kind of you know and that i wouldn't call that a microaggression at all but like not at all but it can it can but, it, but I suppose relative to, you know, a lynching in basically a lynching, it, it, it kind of is, I suppose, in mm-hmm. um, a relative sense, right? But the thing is, that's, a, that's something very personal, right? You can't, that one, I think to me is harder to otherize, right? I don't carry a gun. So the idea that, you know, I'm going to, that, you know, a bunch of, you know, my white friends are going to kill a black jogger running through the neighborhood, that's, that's too, foreign to me that's there, there's too much distance between my yeah. reality and that for me to necessarily say oh god i have an actual like like i know people like i don't know anybody who I, yeah I, I do not knowingly associate with anybody that i would ever imagine would do that however that case in central park for me is a little bit more interesting because thinking about it i'm like "That first of all that was shitty yeah. secondly actually might know, I can think of a few people that I might have, that I might actually know who might be inclined to do something like that. Like yeah. it's, it's, it's smaller, which almost makes it more egregious because it makes it easier to overlook mm-hmm. and it makes it easier to kind of whitewash. No yeah. um, but but <laughs> when you start looking at how, yeah. like black, how, how this broader transition, right? Black mm-hmm. lives matter trans lives, the political mo- momentum around it that, and you watch the backlash to it, yeah. that backlash is about an identity feeling threatened.
1: Yeah. And it, that's why um, in a couple of episodes ago, we talked about, and you asked me about, you know, being the preacher's son and, you know, really the discussion around race, but the value of love and the mm-hmm. value of grace in these moments and what does it look like to be modeled, to be acted out. And I believe in these moments, particularly around the the transition and the the question of identity, is is it being taken from me and the weaponizing of uh, the damsel in distress or the Emmett Till type of scenario in that moment in Central Park, put on display the microaggressions or the systematic (laughs) brainwashing Of of certain parts of society to be able to say, my privilege allows me to be able to do that with no repercussions, and we and for the first time for some people, they either for the first time had to acknowledge it, or it was their actual first time seeing a mirror image of again. I
0: think think seeing it seeing it in a way that was not. I mean, you know for as horrible as police brutality yeah. is, it's, it's yeah. very easy in a lot of ways for I think the average person to sort of otherize the police, yeah. right? It's, they, they're more removed. Yep. Walking on a dog in a park, is there, there's not a lot of other in that, right? Yeah. Like that's that's yeah. much closer to kind of our normal day-to-day sure, reality sure. for most of us. Mm-hmm. And so I think seeing that and seeing, and especially seeing how kind of like just blatantly like
1: yeah.
0: Ridiculous her accusation was. Um, I think is it, it just sort of it was just sort of startling in that regard. But again, there is. But 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 what I but what I like about this example is that how fragile does her identity have to be to feel threatened by a guy asking her to keep her damn dog on a leash? I'm a dog owner and I like letting my dog off the leash. But seriously, like. You live in a city. You live in a city. You live in. You live in New York City. Like honestly, like what the hell? So for me, the 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 question of you know transition and navigating transition, you know, again, there are all kinds. We handle some better than others. But I think the more I think about this, and the more we kind of go through the different sort of modes of it, yeah, I think the I think the thing that I keep coming back to is that the places where it's the hardest and where we might struggle for the most grace is when that transition, especially if we didn't choose it, imposes some kind of resistance against our own definition of our identity.
1: I like it, I like it, yeah. Another
0: question is what do you do about that?
1: Um, I think it comes to a point of how do you begin to work the muscle of calling it when you see it or when you encounter it? Um, and again, that we we again we go back to awareness. How willing are you to call yourself out on it? How and willing, language and,
0: and language right like Maybe. definitely
1: language right and you
0: can't, you can't fix something if you can't if you can't identify what it exactly is. identifying exactly. It's words around yep. what it
1: is. yeah and again understanding that as you're beginning to work on it for the first time you to believe you're going to have the perfect word, you're not. Just begin to name it, and then as you get more knowledge and you get more understanding through the practice of awareness, you'll you'll begin to refine the message of it. Again, when I had my identity threatened as not being an officer in the military anymore, I'm now that individual contributor with a skill set that is not... I'm applicable to this season in life and so what am I going to do about it what you going to do about it and so I was like okay I gotta get some more skills I gotta get some different skills that's call it right now we're going to call it get skills <laughs> let's start there I need to get some skills and then you in what right and then that's the next question <laughs> like I identified I need some skills in what and then okay all right what do I want to be what do I want to do and then I need to meet other people that I want to be connected to. I need to find an Elora. She can help speed up the growth process of this coaching thing, right? And so as we attach ourselves um, to these different words and language, um, we've got to get really get curious with ourselves of what this looks like, what it sounds like, um, and don't run from it. Because again, if we really tr- truly believe we're, we're innovators and we can really ebb and flow with life, you got to practice at this thing.
0: So it's funny that you say that because, you know, one of the things that, um, one of, one of my biggest weaknesses is that I have zero tolerance for boredom. Like I bore so easily and I have, and I, and you know, I've, I remember there, I've had so many really fantastic, like job interviews. And at the end of the interview process, somebody says to me, and this has happened at least three different times just in the past decade they've come back to me and said you know we love you we love your experience we think you've got amazing energy honestly I don't think the job is big enough for you I think you're gonna I think if you started I think you would be bored and then quite honestly I'm a little afraid of how destructive you might get if you get bored, which I have to say is a totally astute and absolutely valid concern because when I'm bored, I do send the light shit on fire. But the thing is, is that what I've had to learn about myself is that, yeah, I, 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 boredom is not something that I roll with with as much grace as I would like. Um, I've gotten a little bit better about it. Honestly, it's another real good thing about meditation is you know forcing myself to sit still and You know, that's helped me sort of tease out the difference between stillness versus boredom. I I think I used to conflagrate the two uh, more than they really should be. But again, coming back to understanding myself enough to recognize that, okay, you know what? Part of the reason that, you know, I do pick up and move with bizarre regularity apparently is because for me, that's part of the way I avoid boredom. You know, that's part of what I do to keep things interesting and to avoid feeling like I'm falling into a rut. Or it's actually sometimes what I do to help with the transition, right? It's one of the things that I have kind of come to um, believe is that there is a certain useful momentum to changing your space. And so sometimes if I know I'm making a big, a big transition, I, I tend to actually do it between jobs a lot is a new job, new place to live. Even if I'm in the same city, even if I don't need to move for commute reasons or anything like that, but just, you know, you know, I always, in fact, it's funny. I, I, I routinely change my phone, I, my phone number, not just my phone, but like, you know, people, I have, I have friends who like have had the same phone number for like 15 years at this point. And like, when I leave a job, a lot of times I'll, I'll get a new phone number, I'm done. You know, I wipe my phone, get rid of it, get a new one, start over. And I've had a lot of people ask about that. I'm like, you know what, for me, that's helpful momentum for making a change. It prevents me from falling back onto old habits. It prevents me from, you know, getting lazy or having, you know, a lonely night and messaging somebody, maybe I shouldn't be, you know, communicating with anymore. Like all kinds of things that like, for me, there's, there's real value. And I've, I've come to really appreciate the value of changing my circumstances to help Buffer the realities of some of the difficulties that come with big transitions, but you know, not everybody is necessarily and is easy a posi- or in a position to do that, or that. wants to. And so, for me, I think again, it's 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 useful to understand where you know where your strengths and weaknesses are, because without that, it's re- otherwise you're just shooting in the dark, right? I mean, how many how many people? you know, have made assumptions about, you know, you grew up in Ohio, in Ohio and now you live in Georgia. Like, you know, yeah. how many people have been like, oh, wow, is that, you know, is that a hard transition? Well, you were in the military. You probably lived all over the South. Is Georgia really any harder than anywhere yeah. else? Like, I oh. know. I mean, other than the humidity. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's one thing I know you're not going to miss.
0: Oh, no, I'm actually so excited. And the puppy and I were just out for a walk and on the way yeah. back in our tongues are dragging. I've kept thinking to myself, Oh, the high desert. We're coming. God, I
1: don't love it. No,
0: I mean, I think, I think that's really kind of, kind of important when mm-hmm. it comes down to it. Right. You know, transitions and, and maybe part of it is too, So, changing the language around transition. I think, you know, some, I think yeah. we, we can really attach a lot of baggage
1: mm-hmm.
0: to any word, but I think that one definitely can have a lot. I think ultimately, you know, Stuff evolves, like it just evolves, and and you know you would never, you know, most rational people don't decide or that it's reasonable to you know put the brakes on evolution. That happens at a societal level. It happens Mm -hmm. at an individual level. So you know what? If you know, new chapter means that we are doing something else. That means I have to adapt to do that as well. So you know, I, I think I think you know there are a lot of different ways to come at this. But the truth is, I think that, um, you know, being overly attached to aspects of our identity is always hard because yeah. you're always gonna, you're always gonna cut up against something that challenges that at some point in time, right? You cannot live an entire full robust life on this planet and never have anybody challenge, you know, and, and, never, and never avoid having some degree of challenge to every aspect of your identity at one point or another. Yeah. I mean, this is how, how things work. Yeah. So I think, you know, being, being willing to recognize that, you know, all of us have aspects of our identity that we're more, that feel more fragile and that feel more, we feel more protective of, which again is okay. You can't judge, you, you don't want to judge that, but you want to acknowledge it because it, feeling that way will often inspire behavior that you might not want to be putting out in the world.
1: Yeah, I, I tell you, it's, um, I love I love talking about this and, and particularly with coaches
0: and oh, people yeah.
1: and, and again just to see the framework of what you've lived your life and, and I, I love the uh the coaches who you know I, I I have prescriptions and I have formulas that I use and you know yeah you go ahead and you can keep that formula um because you, you look great. <laughs> like no, just allow things want, to happen. Yeah.
0: A formula might make a great TED talk, but that doesn't necessarily help your clients. Uh,
1: at all, at all. And and it's funny um, talking to, you know, people who, again, on this journey of what is coaching and what why is coaching. It's like, look, at the end of the day, the first person you get the opportunity to practice with is yourself. Like, you know,
0: it's interesting because I would have to say that I have, I have become, like, I'm not a big advocate for school. I think school yeah. is kind of largely overrated I'd rather see yeah. somebody actually do some things mm-hmm. uh, but I have to say I'm like increasingly of the opinion that pretty much everybody should have to go through coaching training
1: <laughs> let me I tell didn't... you something I'm, um, I'm working I'm trying to figure out now with the clients I have how I can work it in yeah. to communication workshops to how to manage conflict and confrontation. How, like I'm it's figuring
0: something we ways. To, something we should come back to actually after. I, I, after
1: let's do it. Let's do it. It. it was a great I, season one.
0: Well, and because, you know, I really think that, that there is, um, I think it's really easy yeah. to leave that kind of personal work on the periphery. And the truth is, I mean, even before COVID, you know, we're in a state of such radical um, chaos. Yeah. None, nothing that, I mean, it was funny. I was listening to a podcast and somebody was making a joke about, you know, I wish such and such had happened back in, you know, I wish, I wish somebody had done something like, you know, this thing back in 2013. And then I kind of started laughing because I'm thinking to myself, but the thing is in 2013, none of us, none of us could have predicted today. We couldn't have predicted we couldn't have predicted COVID. We couldn't have predicted a recession, the likes of which nobody's seen since, you know, FDR was in the White House. Yeah. We, couldn't, we couldn't have foreseen the rise of a new Cold War with both China and Russia. Like there are so, the, the, the d- decline of democracy around the world. I mean, Poland just had an election this weekend and, and now Poland is going the way of Hungary and, and, and you know, Turkey, like there's so many things that, are, that we're living with today that nobody could, we couldn't predicted these back in 2015. At I mean, all. I mean, hell, most of us, did, until the day of the election, we're still convinced that wasn't gonna happen, right? So that was late 2016. Yep. So many things that, you know, and, and I think we do ourselves a lot of disservice by, mm-hmm. you know, the hindsight argument, like it doesn't really help us. All we can do is, is have have, is trust ourselves to make the best decisions we can with what exactly. we have now. But the truth is, between the technology functions of acceleration of change between the social implications that go with that you know there are so many places where it doesn't really serve us to not dig in and do our own work just to deal with the crazy shit that's going to come at us It, it doesn't even have to be about excelling it's kind of sort of turns into a question of just surviving, you know, the problem keep falling on our heads.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you just gotta you just gotta get in and live this thing. It's a it's a contact sport.
0: Really, <laughs> and I think that's I think to me that's the that's actually and I, I love that phrase because I think that sort of explains so much. Yeah. It is a contact sport, and you can't. I don't care how quickly you can tap dance, you're not going to dance. You're not going to slide through raindrops all the not time. Not at
1: all. <laughs>
0: Stuff is still going to land on you. You're still going to have to figure out how to get yourself up off the mat. Yep. And move on to the next thing. So yes, I think that the training that coaches get put through. That having to ask really hard questions, that having to really yeah. dig into your biases, having to dig into where you're judgmental, having to dig into your own issues around shame, having to deal That's with true. your own gremlins, all of those things. I think, God, can you imagine the kind of world we lived in if everybody, everybody had to spend at least some time on that?
1: Oh, man. Yeah. It's, they would be more emotionally informed.
0: Well, and I think we would be more fundamentally inclined towards empathy. I think we I think would so. have far I think so. less, you know, knee-jerk reaction to other yep. people. Like, you know, there's yeah. so many things about that. But I think it would also make it much easier to have a conversation around, mm-hmm. guys, hey, look. You know the economy's in the toilet. We don't know when we're going to be able to reopen. We're yeah. going to have to lay people off. So let's have a real conversation about this instead of being a dumbass who puts a slide up on the wall when just you know miraculously makes people walls disappear.
1: Yeah, man. Yeah, we get we got some stuff to unpack. We do
0: you exactly. un- after you unpack. After I unpack, exactly. <laughs> so that's awesome so any last any last thoughts as we wrap up so we've so, so this is episode 21
1: we've yeah had
0: a fantastic season i've had so much fun doing this so we'll yeah. take a break for a month almost ish. Yeah. as soon as i get to the other side of the country yeah. get a place to live and unpack um so any 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 last thoughts you've had on on the end yeah. of our first
1: The end of our first thing just to anybody out there that's listening watching just do it. Old Nike slogan. If you desire to jump out, um, do it, but have some fun and do it with someone else. And so I thank you, Alora, for, for allowing me to come on this ride with you, um, because you've helped me attack some gremlins and some different things as a part of this growing uh, connection and relationship. Um, so thank you for for the leader in you allowing me to come along for this ride.
0: Well, thank you. I wouldn't have done this without you. And I'm very grateful to this. This is, aside from being a lot of fun, it's also really, you know, again, my fixation with language. It's yeah. really easy, I think, to, to think yourself mm-hmm. into circles. Part of what has been really helpful, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times, like we, we do a podcast and then like two days later, I'm like in the shower washing my hair and all of a sudden I'm like, ah, huh, that's what I should Oh my God, that's how that works. And I've had so many like great yeah. opinions But, you know, it comes from talking it out. hearing, And, and, you know, we have such different perspectives, but such similar temperaments. So it's actually really, it's a great way to mix and match things. So now I'm super grateful. I Never, ever, ever would have gotten around to this without you. And I am super grateful. So, all right. Well, with that, we're going to wrap up our last episode of season one. We will be back uh, no later than mid-August, depending on, how quickly I find a place to live in my new home in Western Colorado.
1: (laughs) Be safe. We'll see you soon.
0: Thank you. Take care my friends.
1: All right. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
0: Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of grow or die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.